Oh, it's great to see. It's great to see you if you're visiting today. We, uh, we're, at the moment, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And what we're finding with Nehemiah, it's right where God's sort of got us at the moment. So every page you turn, you're turning around a corner and, and God's just there. And so it's been a really encouraging book. But if you want to uh, read along with me, it's, uh, we, we've reached Nehemiah 8. So uh, get your iPads flicked open, or if you've got you know, like a good old-fashioned falling open book like me. I like it when it falls open and it just sits there. So Nehemiah 8, and we're going to read down to verse 12, I think. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Don't worry. I'm not going to go on six hours today. (laughs) And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Besides him stood at his right hand lots of people. (laughs) Ezra opened the book. Listen, Keith's done it every week. He's, he's got away with it every week. Have you noticed he's not said a name yet? So I'm, I've decided to take a, a leaf. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And, and as Ezra opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands in response. Amen and amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This is a sacred day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those, send those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Father, I thank you so much that you're a great God. That you're a God who speaks. And Lord, I pray that today that you would speak to us. Lord, through, through this incredible book. Lord, you're the God of the Bible. And we ask, Lord, we say our hearts are open. We're not hiding from you. 
And we ask, Lord, that your word would move in power today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever dreamed with God? Have you ever dreamed? Have you had dreams for God? It says that old men dream dreams and young men have visions. But have you dreamed for God? Is anybody awake? Are we awake? Has anybody dreamed with God? Do you know, two years ago, I was walking down Watergate Street with Keith. And he asked me this question. What are some of your dreams? And Keith will remember, I couldn't answer him. At that time, the dreams had been pushed down and it had been, I'd gone through a very difficult time in life and I'd stopped dreaming. But that question he asked me two years ago is still a question I'm asking now. And the dreams popped up again as I've been reading Nehemiah 8 because it's a dream that I've had ever since I've become a Christian that I'd be involved with a church and when this book is opened... People will stand up and shout and celebrate and give a wolf whistle because the word of God has been opened. Now, I know it's a bit contrived, but will you fulfill a dream for me? <laughs> will you fulfill a dream for me today? Well, everyone stand up. Let's do it in freedom style. And I'm going to stand above the people. And when I open the book, now you can do the old English thing. Oh, bravo, good, jolly good show, eh? <laughs> eh? Now you're quite welcome to do that. I'm not going to force anybody to do anything. Oh, bravo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stiff upper lip and all that. Oh, we're going to respond in faith that when this book's opened, God's going to speak to us through his word. Are you ready? One, two, three. God not only gives the dreams, but is the fulfiller of dreams as well. Can you imagine what it would be like if every time we gathered at Freedom Church and every time the Bible is opened, there are scenes of great weeping, but also scenes of great rejoicing. People being cut to the heart, turning back to God. And what about if the church were gathering and there were an overwhelming sense of unspeakable joy, a party atmosphere, a people celebrating grace, mercy, goodness, and the love of God. That'd be some scene, wouldn't it? That's some dream. That'd be some church. The restoration program of the walls has been completed despite the huge opposition. And now there are over, over 50,000 people gathered within the newly restored city walls. And they're having the launch of their first church meeting. There weren't quite 50,000 here last week. But we've got the walls. 
And we've got the environment now for God to really work. It was a great day, wasn't it, last week? Morning service, time together in between, and then an evening service, which looked totally different to the morning. But it was amazing, amazing time. And as we, as we move into this new walled building, there's some things that we're going to have to continue to fight for. We're going to have to continue to fight for pressing into the presence of God. Not compromising. If he ain't there, we ain't going. We ain't going. Unless we have the presence of God with us as a people, it's, it's pointless. We can, have the most, we can have the most decorated place. We can have the diary full of people coming in and out. But if we haven't got the presence of God with us, we're nothing. We'll also have to... God is preparing us. It might not feel it at the moment, but we've got to get this into his mindsets. God is preparing us for large numbers of people to come here. It's changing his minds on how we're thinking because he's preparing us for large numbers to come in. And sometimes we have this thinking where I, wanna, I, wanna, I want it to stay small. I want it to stay intimate because I've got that family feel to it. We're going to have to fight hard as people are added to keep hold of the special thing God's doing with us. This is a blueprint upon this church that we're a family together and we're going somewhere. And as numbers come in, the challenge will be that, oh, it's starting to not feel like that anymore and I want it to stay like that. But that means we have to fight and we have to be purposeful even more to keep cultivating this family together. And the other thing that we will have to... We will have to fight for is every time we open this book, we will be told that you can't preach this, you can't preach that, you can't say this, you can't say that. But we need to be a people who celebrate the Word of God when it's opened. It's God's blueprint for us. Some of the distinctives is, is embedded into us as a DNA. The presence of God. The family of God. The word of God. And God's restoring all these things. He is the restorer. And it's God who does the gathering of people. 50,000 people gathered. God had not only drawn them back from exile into a physical place. He was also drawing them back into his heart. It's God himself who draws people. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. It's important to understand in all this story of Nehemiah and the restoration it doesn't originate in the heart of Nehemiah. It originates and is instigated in the heart of God. And it's important to understand the reason why 
this restoration is happening. There's a physical restoration because God's heart is to restore a people and to renew a people. But what does this work look like? What does the work of God look like? How does God bring about this restoration and renewal? I'm just going to look at three distinct marks that we see in a work of God. And these three things are one, we see a ravenous people. Are you hungry? We see a repentant people. And we see a rejoicing people. The marks of restoration include a great hunger, a great grieving, and a great rejoicing. We see that this city has been made safe. There's a safe environment. That's what God's doing with us. He's providing a safe environment for us. But that's not the reason. He's providing the safe environment because God's heart is to restore new people to himself. In Nehemiah, we see this restoration we see this renewal and if I can use this word we see the revival of 50,000 people it says that God's drawn them back and it's written in the prophets they will be taught by God we see a ravenous people they told Ezra the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law. It was the people who told Ezra to bring out the book. God had worked in these people's hearts and they were hungry. And only God could satisfy them. There's a hunger in every human heart. And the only way to truly satisfy that hunger is by God himself. We can try and we can search everywhere to satisfy this hunger. Bono sings about it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We can look for it in relationships. We can look for it in food. We can look for it in hobbies, work, sport. But nothing can satisfy this deep longing. It's because it's a deep longing that can only be satisfied by knowing God and being known by Him. There were 50,000 people dispersed and brought back again. They were carried off into the wilderness, into the deserts and into the foreign countries. But now they were back home. Welcome home. And they were hungry, but not for food. They were hungry after God. Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them 
as he opened it. And the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their feet, face to the ground. And I will fall at, my, at your feet. And I will fall at your feet and worship your ear. We see a repentant people. God's plan is for restoration and a plan to bring people back to him. But the only way back to God is repentance. We see that the book of the law is read and people are struck to the heart and fall down in repentance. Without true repentance, there can be no true restoration and no true renewal. We see this first in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1 says, it says that he sat down and wept for some days and mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can I encourage you? Don't follow anybody who's not living a life of repentance and faith towards God. Don't listen to anybody who's not living a life of repentance and faith towards God because they're not worth following and they're not worth listening to. Look for the mark. Look for the distinct marks in someone's life. There are repentant people. God's plan of restoration happens in Nehemiah, this leader. But then it's replicated over life, over life, over life, over life. Over 50,000 lives are changed through repentance. God is doing a work of restoration among us and he's renewing our hearts. God is moving powerfully among us and he's restoring lives. It's the Holy Spirit's work. When he comes, he convicts. He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. A distinct mark of a move of God is a person who's living a life of repentance and faith towards him. But with this work comes with a sense of grief. You carry a sense of grief. We see it in Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's life, he mourned. We see it in other Bible characters, we see it in the life of David. He grieved. This were a man after God's own heart. This is what God said about him, he's after me. But he sinned. But we see in the life of David, he comes back in repentance. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I lay on my bed and mourn every night because it's you alone, God, I've sinned against. We see it in the life of David. We see it in the life of Peter, one again, another favorite character. My favorite characters come out. Passionate after God, totally impetuous, and blows it time and time again. I love Peter. <laughs> I love him. Blows it. He, he denies Jesus three times. 
and he's there fishing, grieving. And Jesus comes to restore him. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Then the scripture says, and Peter's heart were grieved because he understood. You know all things, God. You know I love you. Peter repents. There's so many parallels between this Nehemiah 8 and the day of Pentecost. Nehemiah stands up with all the men and whoever it was who he was stood with. Peter stood up with the 11. The words explained by Ezra and Nehemiah and his colleagues, Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and explains through the word of God to the people. The people are cut to the heart and fall down on the face in Nehemiah. In Pentecost, it says that they were cut to the heart and asked, how can I be saved? A people repent and turn to God. Peter explains that. Repent and believe and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were restored on that day. Nehemiah and the government the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who instructed the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah and his colleagues were explaining that there's a time for everything. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. This day is a holy, is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For some today, God's saying into your lives and situations, the time for grieving is over. Grieving is a process. There's no formula, no time scale, and no demand should be put onto anybody who's lost somebody. But this isn't the sort of grieving we're talking about here. This is not about losing a loved one. Well, it is in a way but this is about a lost relationship. It's, a, it's, a, it's about grieving because you've lost the closeness and intimacy with God. For some today, God is saying, the time for grieving is over. The Bible clearly teaches there's a time for everything. And there's a time for grieving but there's also a time for rejoicing. God is familiar with our grief. God knows, Jesus knows our sorrows. 
Jesus was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As for one who men hid their faces, he was despised and he was esteemed not. Surely he has bore our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus was crucified for our grief. He was crucified for our sin. He was crucified for the sins that we have committed. He was crucified for the sins that was committed against us. Jesus took our exile upon himself. He has taken our grief, the grief that we have when we turn from God. He has taken the grief that we experience and he experienced the turning of God's face away from him. There's not a grief like it when God turns his face away from you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's not a greater grief that a human being can experience when they're away from God. He has taken the grief when wicked people have sinned against you. He's taken that grief upon himself. He was crushed on a cross so that our grief would not crush us. He died on a cross, on the cross, and took the full punishment. The grief. He took death himself, death itself, and he dealt with it once and for all. For some of us, God's speaking into our lives. The time for grieving is over. The great high priest, Jesus Christ. Is speaking his word. And he's calming people. The priests came and calmed the people. Today the great high priest. Is coming to calm you. He's saying be still. Be still. The time for grieving's over. His punishment is bringing peace. For some, God wants to restore the joy of his salvation. Does anybody remember your first love? you remember your first love God's drawing you back 
bringing you back to the first love. Time for grieving's over. You've been drifting. You've been in the wilderness. And you're grieving. He's bringing you back. For others, you're facing incredibly painful issues. And these issues have caused you great trauma and overwhelming grief. Oh, God wants to come and give you peace. Be still. He wants to give you his joy and strength face these things these griefs and traumas he wants to give you peace joy and strength to be able to face them having peace with God is our greatest need and it's the deepest hunger are you hungry do you need him can turn to him today we can turn to him turn back to him repentance means not just saying sorry I've done it time and time again you say sorry and then you carry on doing the same old same old repentance is much different repentance is yeah saying sorry it's to God we've offended repentance is agreeing with God that we've got it wrong repentance is changing your mind repentance is changing direction <laughs> it's changing direction we're going this way repentance isn't just saying sorry it's saying sorry and turning this way and going his way. Welcome home. Welcome home. Takes one turn. Are you hungry? Because I get fed up eating the pods that the pigs have got. I don't know about you. I get fed up eating the pods that are for the pigs. And it says about when the son came back in the prodigal son, he came to his right mind. He all of a sudden came to his right mind and he turned back home. He changed direction. And when he did, before he even could get there, I've sinned against heaven and all earth. There's a picture of this running, dancing, rejoicing, hugging God who embraces him he's asking us come home time for grieving is over today is a day we can receive restoration we can be renewed and strengthened 
come back to that first love, the joy of knowing him and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And come and receive the free gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who has been drawing us, who is the one who has been wooing us into this place, and the one who pours his peace, joy and strength into our hearts. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's for anybody who wants to come to Jesus. Who wants to turn to Jesus and come to him. And also there's a, there's a group of people who you've been walking in the wilderness. And God's calling your own. He's calling you back through repentance and faith in him. Two categories of people there. The third category is those who are facing those challenges. Those traumatic experiences that have caused deep grief. God wants to just come and minister. Gently minister. And give, you, give his love and his peace and his joy and his strength. To be able to face the days ahead. I'm going to use a prayer out of the Bible. And if you want to make this prayer yours... Just echo it in your hearts as I read it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you died. And you carried our grief. And Lord, we come to you and we bring that grief in faith. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us and we turn to you, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill us afresh, fill us with your Holy Spirit and restore unto us the joy of your salvation. He saves us not because of the righteous things that we do, but because of his mercy. He saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Just come and wash us afresh and renew us and bring that restoration, that work, your good hand upon our lives of restoration. Thank you, Lord, that your good hand is upon us. Just sense that hand upon your life, the good hand of God bringing restoration. And we ask this in Jesus' name.